You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. In our society, we have a group of people who are known as preppers. A prepper is someone who gathers materials and makes plans in preparation for surviving a major disaster or cataclysmic event such as a worldwide economic collapse or war. There are estimated in our country 10 to 20 million preppers. My first encounter with a prepper was about 10 years ago when I went to a coaching cohort that was for the uh, current job that I had here at Antioch, which was Antioch Group's pastor, and it was a group's coaching cohort. And so we met, and actually the first time we met was in Austin, Texas, and we had this day-long training and we're getting ready to go to dinner. And so a group of us guys jump in with one of the leaders who was from Dallas, Texas in his truck to go out to dinner together. And of course, obviously he's gonna drive a truck, he's from Texas. And we get in the car and we see a gun right off when we get in the car. Obviously Texas, not really weird to see a gun in a truck as well. But then we noticed that he had beef jerky, blankets, water, um, and so one of the guys uh, asked him, like, hey, are you getting ready to go on like a camping trip or something here? You got all this stuff in the back. And he began to go into his prepper spill. He started by talking to us about how his family could live out of his truck for a week. So they could go off the grid and he had gasoline in the back of his, the bed of his truck and they could live off the grid for one week out of their truck. Then he talked to us about how he had a piece of land in Texas in an undisclosed location where the only way to get to it was to know the coordinates on a map. And at that coordinates, he had already obviously bought the land and he had buried some food out there on the land, cash slash gold and weapons on the land so that they could survive if a cataclysmic event were to come. The goal of a prepper is simply what the name says, to be prepared for what is to come. As Jesus is spending his final hours before the cross with his closest friends, he is prepping them for what is to come. Last week in John chapter 15 and verses one through 17, what we found is Jesus was prepping them for how their relationship was gonna work that he is the vine and they are the branches and their dependence on him is how they'll bear fruit in their life. Their connection to Jesus is, is how fruit's gonna be evident in their life. And Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You have to be 
connected to me. And so he's talking about how the relationship with Jesus is going to work. And then he talked about, as he's done in, throughout our discourse here in John chapter 13, he talked about loving one another again. He brought that up again. So it's not just a vertical relationship. It also turns into a horizontal relationship that we're going to love each other. And that's going to represent our faith in Jesus to the world around us. When we come to the section today in John chapter 15 and verse 18 through John 16 and verse 4, Jesus is prepping the disciples for how the world is going to interact with them. How the world is, so we've, we've got the vertical, we've got the horizontal with other believers, and now what's the relationship the disciples are going to have with the world around them? So open your Bibles to John chapter 15, verse 18. We're going to go from there to chapter 16 and verse 4. I would love for you to stand with me as I publicly read God's word and you follow along in, on your device or in a, your physical Bible or on the screens as well. But I want you to listen to Jesus' words as he's prepping his disciples for what's going to come from the world around them. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours." But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If they had not come, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning." I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Father, we are grateful that we get the opportunity today to gather around your word and come to your word today with open hearts and open minds asking you to speak to us. Asking you, Lord, to cast the seed of the word on your hearts and that it would fall on good soil that would produce good fruit that would not just sprout up quickly and then when troubles come, that would go away, but that it would be lasting fruit for months and years ahead. We thank you, Lord, that you don't withhold 
in your word the things that are difficult, that you don't just make it all roses and rose petals in our life, but you are real with us about the difficulties that come from being a follower of you. And so I know the text today is is a sober text, but I pray that we would be sober-minded believers that live differently because we understand who you are and the difference that you've made in our lives. I thank you, Lord, as we've said repeatedly that we can gather here today, but I think about those who are homebound and are joining us online. I think of Bill and Ruth DeWire, and I thank you, Lord, for Ruth's faithful love for her husband in the midst of his health struggles. I pray for Bill today that you would encourage his heart. I thank you for Larry and Cassie Kruger and thank you for Larry's fight against cancer and how he continues to fight. And thank you for Cassie walking alongside him in this journey and being a faithful wife. I pray that you would encourage their hearts today as well. I pray for Andrew Gotson, who had his gallbladder, emergency gallbladder surgery this morning, had it removed. I, I pray that you'd strengthen his body, be able to go home today and a quick recovery for him, be with his wife, Lacey, and encourage her heart today as she watches her husband go through this. We thank you, Lord, that we can bear one another's burdens as a church family, and we do it with joy because you are with us and working in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So what is going to come for the disciples? Hatred. What is going to come for us as believers? Hatred. The two questions that I believe Jesus answers in the text are these two questions and it'll be our outline today as we look at these verses. The first thing that Jesus is gonna answer is, why does the world hate Christians? Why is there such a tension between us and the world? He's gonna make that clear for us why there's this tension here in our lives. Then he's gonna help us understand how we should, as Christians, respond to the world's hatred in 15.26 through 16.4. So these two questions are gonna guide our thinking and our understanding of the text today. So the first, why does the world hate Christians? Jesus says it right out of the gate. It's because they hate Jesus. Why does the world hate Christians? Because it hated Jesus. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. Jesus says this term, if. If is not a wondering about whether they will, It is more like if the world hates you and it does is a good way to translate that. If the world hates you and it does, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus is saying the world is gonna hate you because the world hated me. Now, who is the world? What is he talking about when he uses this term world? 
Is he talking about the cosmos, right? The world that we live in? Well, I think he's making it more than just a generic term world. He's really digging into this term world in the sense of this. The world is people who have chosen not to acknowledge God in their lives. We're going to get to this in the second part of why the world hates us. But I want you to see now that the world is people that choose to not acknowledge God in their lives. In James chapter 4, in verse 4, James puts it this way. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is in enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This world is people that are choosing not to acknowledge God in their life, not to acknowledge who God is and who Jesus is in their life life. They would in essence be saying, I've got my life figured out. I can do life on my own. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. That's the world that he's referring to. So he's saying, if the world, people that don't acknowledge God in their lives hated you, know that they hated me before they hated you. We have a different leader. We have a different allegiance. We have a different direction in life than the world around us. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Hatred from the world stems from our not conforming to their perspective about life. What is their perspective about life? That they don't have to submit to God. That they don't have to recognize that there's a creator and that there is a savior for them, right? They don't recognize that. And so he's saying, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you're a part of the world and you're conforming to the world, they're going to accept you, but we shouldn't be a part of the world. Our lives should be counterculture. Our lives should go against the current flow of the way of life of the world. This is why Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you were a part of the group that doesn't recognize God as the creator and the sustainer of life, then you would be loved by them, right? If you were a part of that, you're, you're going to be loved. They're going to accept you as their own because you're going along with their way of life. Whenever you travel the world, one of the most distinct things about your experience when you travel is the food. Listen to any missions trip testimony and what's going to eventually come up, the food that you had on that missions trip. Why? Because our palate is different than the palate of the places we travel to. Because of the place we live, we have become accustomed to our food, right? sugar, starches, all the whatever other S's come with, with that, right? We've become accustomed to our food, so we love it. And when we eat their food, our palate recognizes it as being foreign. The palate of a Christian should be different than the palate of the world. Say that, Pastor. That when we taste the world. There should be an odd taste in our mouth because that's not the palate that we have anymore. Amen. That's a part of our old nature. 
That's not the new nature in Christ. So the palate of the Christian is different in the palate of the world. Why? He answers it for us. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Because your palate is different than the palate that they have, the world is going to hate you because I've chose you out of the world. First Peter chapter two and verse 11, Paul or Peter refers to us as sojourners and exiles in this world. That this is, this is not it for us. We, we, in essence, we're a part of another nation. We're a part of another kingdom, right? And so we should be different in that world because we've been chosen out of this world, that we are different in that we have submitted ourselves to God. We have submitted ourselves and surrendered our life to Jesus. So we're not of this world because he has chosen us out of this world. Then verse 20, Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. When did Jesus say that the servant was not greater than his master. Well, it takes us back to John chapter 13. Remember, the disciples are in the upper room and when they first get there, what does Jesus do for them? He washes their feet, doesn't he? And listen to what he says after he finishes washing their feet, which was a very humbling thing for Jesus to do, to wash their feet. He says in verse 12, when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garment and resumed his place at the table And he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant, here's where it is, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. So he first says, in in regards to washing each other's feet, showing love to each other, humbling ourselves towards each other, I've set an example for you, but I've also set an example for you in that the world is going to hate you because it hated me. Look at what he says in verse uh, verse 20 there. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they've kept my word, they will also keep yours. So he says the reason that we are going to receive persecution, the reason that we are going to receive hatred from the world is because they hated Jesus first. Look at verse 21. But all these things, all this hatred, they will do to you on account of my name. Not your name, not Peter's name, not John's name, not Matthew's name, not Luke's name. They're going to do it on account of my name. Why does the world hate Christians? Because they hated Jesus. Then in verses 22 through 25, we see that why they hated Jesus. So why do they hate Christians? Because they hated Jesus. Why do they hate Christians? Because Jesus exposes their sin. Look at verse, the end of verse 21, going into verse 22. Because they do not know him who sent me. So they don't know God the Father. 
Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. So is Jesus saying that we are sinless until he came? Because he says, if in, in verse 21, if they had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. In verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. Is Jesus saying that these men and, and, and the world was guiltless until he came? No, what Jesus is doing is he's expounding on the fact that they did not know him who sent me, namely Jesus. The sin they are guilty of is the sin of not knowing God, even though God had sent his only begotten son into the world, right? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So he is not saying that they are not sinners, but they are now guilty of the sin of rejecting him. So he's not saying that they weren't sinners before Jesus came. He's saying you were a sinner, but now you're guilty of the sin of rejecting God's son who he sent to the world to save you from your sins. Jesus in this moment is exposing their hearts. They wanted to make it about rituals and religion, right? And Jesus is exposing their hearts and saying, you want it to be all outward things, but I'm not here for outward, I'm here for your heart. And the guilt is that in your heart, you're not submitting to me as the savior and Lord of your life. So in verse 25, Jesus says, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus is quoting Psalm 69 in verse four. It is a messianic Psalm. And he's saying, as that Psalm predicted, they hate the Messiah without a cause. You are living that out and that you're hating me without a cause. There's certain people in history that hatred and opposition seems appropriate towards, like a guy like Hitler. But when you think about the life of Jesus, what would he do that would cause people to hate him? He gave sight to the blind. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He sympathized with the weak and the outcasts. What atrocities he has done to be hated, right? But we know that's not why he was hated. He was hated because he was claiming to be God and he was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what I love in Jesus sharing this with his disciples is that he is saying to his disciples that this must be fulfilled. You see, the hatred towards Jesus was not God the father losing control of the world that he created. But it was actually God, the father, bringing the world exactly where he would want it to be so that his savior could come and die on the cross for our sins, be buried and come back to life. This was to be 
fulfilled. Psalms 69 and verse 4. I love what Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 50 and verse 20 when he says, what you meant for evil, selling me into slavery, sending me off to Egypt, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And when we look at the cross and we see the hatred that was given towards Jesus because he was exposing the sin, the idols of their heart, we can know that what they meant for evil, God turned to his glory and to our good. So the question is, how do I know if I'm part of the world or part of the life of Jesus? When, when we say this, how should Christians respond to the, or, or why do Christians have the hatred of the world towards them? And we say, because Jesus was hated and because Jesus exposed their sin, then how do I know if I'm a part of the world side of that or I'm a part of the Christian side of it? Well, let me give you two statements for you to consider. The world says this, ain't nobody gonna tell me what to do with my one and only life. It belongs to me. That's what the world says. The Christian says, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. So which statement defines you? That will determine whether you are a part of the world or you are a part of being a follower of Christ. Let me give you a couple of personal applications for those of you that are Christians in the room today. The first is this, don't take the hatred personally. Haters are gonna hate. They hated Jesus, they're gonna hate us. It's not about you, it's about the one you follow. So let's grow some thick skin and just know they hated Jesus who lived the perfect life and never one word came out of his mouth that wasn't calculated. And us sinners who are gonna have words that come out of our mouth that maybe aren't as calculated, right? As we try to share Jesus with them, they're gonna hate us. So don't take it personally. It's not about you. Second, make sure Jesus and the cross is the offense. Make sure Jesus and the cross is the offense. Jesus told us, guys, I could take you to several. I I got short time today, but Matthew chapter 10, listen to what Jesus told his disciples and followers. He said this, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious. When they're delivering you over because you associate with my name, don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what are you to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So Jesus says, when I put you in front of them and you're wondering what to say, that spirit that I've talk, I'm gonna talk about in John 14, 15, and 16, this spirit is gonna come and help you to know how to stand up for Christ in that moment. But we must make sure that it is about Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.19 says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's the thing that should offend. 
The thing that they should be upset with us about is you talk about Jesus and the cross and the resurrection all the time. That seems stupid that you would put all of your faith in one man. That should be the thing that separates us from the world is that we have submitted our life and he just is so ingrained in our heart and life we can't help but talk about him. In Galatians chapter five and verse 11, Paul says, but if I brothers still preach circumcision, if I still preach that there's a way to earn your way to God, why am I still being persecuted, Paul says. In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. In that case, if I'm still preaching there's a way to earn your way to God, then the offense of the cross is gone. What is Paul saying to them? Make sure that you make it all about the cross and Jesus. Their hatred towards us should be on that end that we've made much of Jesus and the cross in our lives. So why does the world hate Christians? Because it hated Jesus and because Jesus exposes their sin. Then the second question that I believe Jesus answers is how should Christians respond to this hatred? Look at verse 26. But when the helper comes, amen? When he sends the Holy Spirit, when he sends the one to our aid, when he sends the comforter, the counselor, when he comes, to our aid, I will send him from the Father. Again, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, God, the the Holy Spirit are one. When I send him from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Holy Spirit, listen, is gonna bear witness in our hearts that Jesus is who he said he is. He did what he said he did and he will do someday what he said he will do, all right? So the Holy Spirit is gonna bear witness in our hearts. Look at what verse 26, seven those happens when he bears witness in our hearts and you also will bear witness here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples how do you deal with the hatred of the world keep sharing me keep sharing Jesus as the, as the spirit bears witness with our hearts that Jesus is God, that we are right to submit ourselves to his lordship and his, his leadership in our lives, as we're right to do that, that the outworking is that it comes out in us bearing witness, testifying about who Jesus is. He says, keep sharing Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the world. Period. Jesus is the hope of the world. Listen, we don't need a program for us to share our faith. We have the program inside of us and it's called the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in the church, we make evangelism this certain night of the week thing that we do or this certain way that we talk. No, evangelism is that the Holy Spirit has bared witness, testified to our hearts and the natural outworking of the Holy Spirit is that we're gonna share our faith because that's gonna be the thing that's gonna bring the hatred of the world is that we are saying Jesus is the only way to God. That's where we draw the line in the sand. And so Jesus says, 
to his followers, his disciples, keep sharing Jesus. Keep testifying to the one who is affirming this in your heart. And then look at verses 16, one to four. I have said all these things to you, to these 11 guys, to keep you from falling away. The idea here is to stumble. It's to cause to give up the Christian faith. So I'm saying all these things to you guys so that you don't stumble in your faith, that you don't give up on the Christian faith. What's interesting is we know the rest of the story. What do all of these guys do? They give up on their faith. They stumble. When Jesus is arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, you can't find any of them, right? Peter cuts off the guy's ear, Jesus heals him, but then he's gone, right? He denies Jesus three times. And you don't know where any of the other guys are at. But here's the deal. Because they're true believers, they come back, right? And he's saying, I'm saying these, to, these things to you so that you don't stumble. You don't leave the Christian faith. In verse 2, Jesus gets real personal. He says, here's what's going to happen to you guys. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. AKA Saul. When you read in the book of Acts, Saul is rounding up these people who are followers of, quote, the way. Why? Because he's doing it in service to God. Like, I got to get rid of these people because they're messing up our religion. They're messing up how life really should work, right? And so he's, he's saying to them, this is what's going to come to you guys. You're going to be put out of the synagogue and they're going to even kill you. And they're going to say, this is a service to God. Verse three, and they will do these things because they have not known the father. They have not submitted themselves to God, the father, nor have they submitted themselves to me. Jesus is exposing their sin. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I can imagine that as the disciples begin to have this happen in their life, that supernaturally the Holy Spirit brings these very words to their minds. That they would remember, oh yeah, Jesus said they're gonna hate me because they hated him. Oh, oh yeah, that's right, they're gonna hate Jesus because Jesus is exposing their sin in their life. And how can I persevere through this? with the Holy Spirit, keep sharing Jesus, even while I'm getting put in prison, even while they're hanging me upside down on a cross, keep sharing Jesus. And then here's what I think Jesus is saying in John 16, one through four, keep trusting me. Amen. When you're getting kicked out of the synagogues, when you're getting killed because you're a follower of me, keep trusting me. We heard it in John chapter, in First Peter chapter four, when Wes read it in the our worship time. Remember what what did it say? Keep entrusting yourself to God. How do we know to keep entrusting ourselves to God? Because First Peter chapter two, it says when Jesus suffered, he didn't get back at them. When Jesus went through hell for us, he didn't get, say, listen, you're gonna get your own, right? But what did he do? He kept entrusting himself, First Peter chapter two, and I believe verse 24, he kept entrusting himself to the Father. So what do we do when we're hated by the world? We keep trusting Jesus. We keep trusting 
Jesus? Do you find yourself being hated by the world on the account of Jesus? Keep sharing Jesus and keep trusting Jesus. A prepper doesn't know, really, if we're honest, if a major disaster or cataclysmic event is going to happen. They can do all the research and they can have all of that, that this is potentially what could happen, but that's the word, potentially, right? They don't really know, so they're, they're preparing without knowing. As followers of Jesus Christ, we can be prepared for hatred because we really do know that it has come, it is coming, and someday it will come. But I know for us in America as believers who live in America, we live for the most part in relative ease within the United States of America. Let's just be transparent and honest. But if we take a look at the whole world, we find hatred and persecution is more prevalent than I think we would want to think about. Because it's easy to live in our bubble. And the worst comforts we have is it's raining on a Sunday morning when we come to church or it's a little cold or it's a little inconvenient to share my faith. But I want you to listen to these stats in the last year of what has happened to believers around the world. Over 360 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 360 million Christians. Listen to this next line. This isn't just in the last year. 5,898 Christians killed for their faith. Do you know one of their names? I don't. But these are people who when they read John 15, 18, and it says, you will be hated on account of my name. Jesus says that to them. They really understood that. 5,110 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. Look at the next slide. 6,175 believers were detained without trial, arrested and sentenced and imprisoned for simply claiming the name of Jesus Christ. 3,829 Christians were abducted in the last year for simply being a follower of Jesus Christ. This, these stats come from an organization known as Open Door USA. And every year, Open Door USA puts out what they refer to as a world watch list for the countries with the greatest persecution. And for the last 20 years, one country has been at the top or near the top of persecution, and that is the country of North Korea. Today, I want you to watch this story from a believer in North Korea. And here's what I want you to do as you watch this video. I don't want you to sympathize with their plight in life. Like, I'll I'll be honest with you, she's gonna say it in the video, this is, we're we're okay. I don't want you to sympathize with their plight, but I want you to watch with the perspective of these verses in mind and think about how these verses must come to their mind 
as they go through being hated because they are followers of Jesus Christ. And when we watch her faith and their faith, may it inspire our faith to be more bold in our witness. Father, I pray that we would feel the weight of this moment. I really don't know how you can be a follower of Jesus and watch that and not be moved with compassion and not be moved with the desire to be more courageous for you. So you've called us in Hebrews 13.3 to remember those who are in chains and remember those who are mistreated. And so today, Lord, we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ in North Korea who are isolated to villages because they simply are followers of you. I pray today that you would strengthen their faith. I pray today that you would meet every need that they have. Help them to continue to wake up and sense your presence with them. I pray, Lord, that they would continue to abide in you. Forgive us for our lack of boldness to confess the name of Christ. Forgive us for hiding behind walls. Forgive us for hiding behind, I don't want to lose my job. Forgive us for hiding behind, I don't want my neighbors to not like me. Forgive us, Lord, for hiding behind our weak excuses of boldly proclaiming you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be bold for you. Not in a way that distracts from you, but in a way that magnifies you in a way that when they look at our lives, the only evil that they can say about us is they love Jesus. May it be so. I pray as we stand now and we sing about you, Jesus, and the fact that death was arrested when you rose from the grave. I pray that this song would be our anthem as we leave and go out into the world and that it would encourage us and it would give us courage to live in a way that makes much of you and give us boldness with our actions and with our words this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.